Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and I am so excited to share this episode with you today. We have a great guest today. Dr. Jen Mann, who's going to help us get through the holidays with as little stress and anxiety as we can possibly have. If you are a first-time listener, welcome to the show. This is the show that will help educate you, empower you, maybe entertain you a little bit, and inspire you to go live your most fearlessly authentic life. Because in my opinion, if we're not doing that, then what are we here for? So please remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And you can now find this podcast on Amazon Music. So go there right now. Fearlessly Authentic is being featured. So before I introduce Dr. Jen Mann, I would like to give you some information about her. Dr. Jen Mann has been on the show a few times, and it's been a while since we have had her on, and I just thought... This would be a great time to talk about how to relieve those stresses and anxiety. Dr. Jen Mann is a well-known psychotherapist, author, television, radio show host. She is the host and therapist for VH1's longstanding hit shows, Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen and Family Therapy with Dr. Jen. She has appeared as a guest expert on hundreds of shows, including The Today Show, The Early Show, Dr. Oz, Wendy Williams, The Doctors, The Maury Show, Steve Harvey, Access Hollywood, The Insider, and Jimmy Kimmel Live. Dr. Jen hosts a widely popular call and advice radio show. She is the author of two best-selling parenting books, Super Baby, 12 Ways to Give Your Child a Head Start in the First Three Years, and the A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids. She is also the co-author of a children's book, Rockin' Babies, which she co-wrote with her mother, Grammy Award winner, songwriter, Cynthia Wheel. Her newest book is The Relationship Fix, Dr. Jen's Guide to Improving Communication, Connection, and Intimacy. She is a licensed marriage, family, and child therapist and has been in private practice for almost three decades. She lives in Beverly Hills, California with her family. And to learn more about Dr. Jen, visit drjen.com or check out her Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat at Dr. Jen Man. That's two N's and two N's on both names. Very easy to remember. Welcome to the show, Dr. Jen Mann. I'm so happy to have you here today. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it's been a while since I feel like you've been like a friend of the show and it's been a while. Yeah. Um, like a couple of years, I think already. Time just flies. It sure does. And our hair color keeps changing. And I love you as a blonde. I love you as a brunette. I mean, that's the nice thing. I could never go that color. I mean, you, you know, look great well, in it. 
I'm a natural brunette, but then at the height of COVID, when we were all on lockdown, I couldn't get color. So I had to color from a box and was trying to get to my natural color, which was a disaster. It was like an orange brown, then it was a raspberry brown, <laughs> pink brown. It was like every color of brown. It was a disaster, but I'm glad to be back to blonde, which is kind of where I've been since my 20s. Yeah, no, it looks it looks really pretty. Thank you know. You. When we were talking about what to discuss today, because there are so many things that we can discuss, um, is that tis the season, it tends to be very stressful for everyone, especially, you know, if there's been um, a death in the family or with friends, and this is a reminder, especially if they pass this time of year. Uh, for me, my mom passed away the day after my birthday. My birthday is December 27th. Mm-hmm. So you know, it brings up a lot of uh, tough times and you're still trying to be there for family and friends. The biggest question I have for you because of these triggers is how do we manage? I know that's a big question. I want to break it down, but how do we begin to even manage stress and anxiety during this time of year? And when you say manage stress and anxiety, you mean overall, as opposed to after the death of a loved one. Yes, overall, not specifically okay. about a loved one passing. Okay. Um, overall, there are a number of things that we can do. You know, there was a book that came out a few years ago. I think it was Shonda Rhimes wrote this book, like The Year of Yes, and was like, say yes to everything. So you have all these new great opportunities. And I'm all for having adventures. But I also think sometimes it needs to be the year of no. And I think sometimes we need to make boundaries. We need to preserve our sacred space. We need to preserve our energy. We need to make sure that we have some level of self-care in the chaos of the holidays. And especially if you are someone like you or like me who has lost a parent or a loved one, it's especially important to be saying no. So I think that that's one thing, making boundaries and preserving that time. I think also making sure that you are not spending time with people who drain you. And I think sometimes the holidays are a good time to kind of reassess and say, okay, this is supposed to be a joyous time of the year. Who brings me joy and who does it? Who drains me? Who is exhausting to me? And be more selective about who you spend time with. I also think that when it comes time for family dinners, I think that There are some families where that is a great joy, where it is something that is really invigorating and gives you energy. And there are some families that are draining and difficult. And if you have a family that is draining and difficult, making boundaries, maybe you come a little on the late side, you leave right after dessert, you make a lot of boundaries about what you're discussing, no politics, no, you know, like whatever your list is of things that create conflict. And also you learn to make boundaries. If somebody tries to prod you to discuss something that is painful, difficult, triggering. You know, I talk to a lot of single people around the holidays who say like, I'm so tired of being asked, when am I going to get married? Or like, why haven't I found someone? Like come up with the pat answers for those questions that drive you crazy and learn how to change the subject as quickly as possible and make those boundaries. You know, everything that you're saying seems to be something we should be practicing the whole year, but specifically, it seems to come up with neon lights and bells and everything else during this time of year. Everything is exaggerated, right? Because we do feel 
because of maybe society that we do need to spend more time with friends, whether they are toxic or not. And I think creating those boundaries all year long are important, but especially now, if you know, like you said, there are triggers. So, you know, on along those lines, I think that in the, around the holidays, we get caught up in the shoulds. I should Mm. buy this present. I should spend time with this person. I should enjoy this family member. And I think, fuck the shoulds. I think we have to kind of reevaluate. Life is too short. And I think we really need to look at what brings us joy and really not get into what we're told we should do. Isn't it interesting how society has put so much pressure on us? You know, I talk about societal pressures at a certain age for women and how we shouldn't stay in that box that society wants us to be in. It's the same thing for that very courageous person who says, I know that I should spend time with my family, but it doesn't work for me. Mm -hmm. How does that person of any age Mm -hmm. say no and still maintain a, a a decent relationship with that person without offending them? Well, I think that there are a lot of different ways to do it. And it, it depends on the circumstances. Sometimes it's just postponing it. Sometimes it's saying like, mm. hey, I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to be able to make it to the holiday dinner, but let's get together in the new year. Other times it's actually having the conversation and saying, you know, look, the last time I had dinner with you, it we just, it was, there was so much conflict and I'm not in a place to really revisit those conflicts. I love you. I care about you but let's let's kind of take a little space and revisit each other in the new year and see where we're at. So I think that sometimes the best way to handle it is to postpone and to kind of kick the can. That's hard sometimes. I mean, I'm thinking about, as you're talking, I'm thinking about situations that I used to have when I was younger, you know, like 10 years ago, younger. Yeah. And I would still find myself doing the things that I thought I should be doing. And it it's very hard because people, if you are that person that does all the shoulds and you suddenly decide to step in your power, be your fearlessly authentic person and say, I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. That change of, of that relationship with that person is shocking to them. And they mm-hmm. don't like it because they're they think, oh well, Jody always comes to this. Well, no, Jody's saying no, it's not good for my mental health this year. That's yeah. that's what I find so hard. Well, you know, I have a, a girlfriend who got some therapy and decided to make boundaries. And when she started making boundaries with her friends, like you're saying, some people were like, what's going on? Like, why have you gotten so mean? Like, and then other people were like, oh, it's about time. I've been waiting for you to take better care of yourself. And she really looked at kind of, there was a very clear division. It was very black and white where there was one camp that was like, why are you not meeting my needs? I I don't know why you become such a bitch. And then the other camp that was like, oh, thank God. I'm so happy you're doing this. I'm so, I've been wanting you to take better care of yourself. Those are the people who are still her friends. Those other people are no longer in her life. And I think that it's important to be assessing and figuring things out because sometimes we do get caught up in the shoulds, especially as women that like, we get very caught up in like, oh, I should be friends with my sister-in-law. Oh, I should be friends with this person I knew from elementary school. And, you know, it's important to really look at who is on the same page as you, who is fulfilling. And, you know, like when I became a therapist, I remember 
my first week as an intern seeing clients. And I remember having this moment where I was like, I'm spending all day giving to people and giving Mm -hmm. advice and being there for people. I really got to look at who of my friends give back to me. And I really went through my friends and like, there's one person I'm thinking of in particular who is a lovely person. She's a sweet, wonderful person. But my criteria for friendship was, would I ask this person for advice? Do I respect how they're living their life? Are they someone who I can trust and who will share? Like if I, if I share something that is confidential, will they keep it confidential and not gossip? Mm. And it really made me reevaluate. What I did was for the people who didn't meet that criteria, but were good people, they kind of got demoted to acquaintance. Where if I was having a party, which I did more of in my 20s than I do at this age, but then I would invite those people because they're lovely people. But the people who I spent time with on the phone, who I went out to lunch with and dinners and really confided in were the ones that met that criteria. And that's hard. And I think when, and tell me if I'm right or wrong here, as you get older, you do weed out those people that are not in the camp of supporting you. And Sometimes I look around and I see all these people with all of these friends and I'm like, that's just not me. I've weeded them out at this point in my life because I have had those toxic situations, whether it's during the holidays or not. And it's just part of how I stay healthy now. And I and I want people to understand that as we talk about this today, that this is about staying, taking care of yourself all the time, not just, it may start in the holidays because that's when maybe you need to put your foot down, but it should continue throughout your life. And I think that, you know, I think that kind of the question underneath that is sort of how do people evolve to that point? Do people just naturally evolve to the point where as I get older, they're better able to kind of weed out friends. And I think that the only way we do that is if we're working on ourselves, if we're in therapy or if we're reading self-help books, if we are getting counseling or coaching of some kind. And I think that we have, my philosophy is that we have a really a, an important um, obligation to ourselves. And if we're in a relationship to our partner to be constantly evolving and becoming better versions of ourselves. And I think it's really important if you're someone who's listened to this and going, well, I don't think I could do that, or I don't have the strength to do that, or I'm scared to do that. That's okay. But then you need to make sure that you get the support or the therapy that you need to figure out why are you not able to do that? Why are you putting other needs before yours? Is that something that's historical from your family? Is that something that's societal? And how do you break that so you can be happier and live a more fulfilling life? Right. And it, as you said, it's easier said than done, but you have to be working on yourself. And I have found that the people that I surround myself with are people that do want to work on themselves. And, you know, it's nice to see my daughters growing up and being more self-aware and and getting rid of those toxic relationships because they know it doesn't serve them well. Do you find that um, the younger generation, let's just go to millennials, for example, um, Mm -hmm. are taking better care of themselves and have set up more boundaries overall as a generation versus yours or mine? I, I do. I, I think that they are a generation, at least from what I'm seeing, they're a generation that's growing up 
with the vocabulary even like our generation we didn't know like the word boundaries wasn't used that way or you know self-care was not a thing like but this is a generation that's growing up with the vocabulary that really helps them to a identify it and b change it you know my kids are having conversations with their friends that are so evolved and so amazing that it's it's really incredible when it comes to boundaries right and i think you know that's what we've been talking about most of the time and self care so let's just say somebody's not ready to put up those boundaries because maybe they haven't been working on themselves, but something is hitting them this year. They're like, I don't want to go to Aunt Jane's house. I don't want to go to grandma's house. I don't want to see, or I don't want to see my mother or father, whatever it could be. Mm -hmm. Um, How do they start taking the steps? Like if this is so foreign to them, but they don't want to go. And anybody who's listening right now, I'm sure there are people listening right now. They're like, yes, that's me. I don't want to go there. What can they do? Well, I think, look, i I think sometimes you can tell a lie. I think sometimes you can say, I'm sick. I'm so sorry. I can't come. When what you really want to say is, I'm so tired of you coming at me and having an aggressive argumentative dinner. I'm not up for that this year. Mm -hmm. I don't think you have to always say that. I don't think you always have to share your inner process. I think sometimes there's this idea, and, and I do believe in being fearlessly authentic, but sometimes there are people who are not, it's not to your benefit. Sometimes it's better being fearlessly authentic sometimes is saying, Hey, I'm so sorry, but I'm not feeling well. I'm not going to be able to come tonight and stay home and like put on your favorite holiday show and curl up with some fuzzy socks and a pint of ice cream and have some fun. But like sometimes people who are really difficult or really aggressive or really argumentative or who just don't get us, sometimes they they aren't worthy of the information that of our whole process of how we evolved to this decision. Can you explain that more? Because I think the people that we do have a hard time communicating with who are not self-aware, self-evolved, not working on them, those are the people that suddenly somebody who again, maybe isn't working on themselves, but it's very hard to have that conversation. It's like an apple talking to an orange about how yeah. they're feeling and the orange doesn't understand the apple, right? Yeah. yeah. I have and, I have people in my life like that. Yeah. And, and when you have people who, you know, if you said, hey, that dinner was just too argumentative and I don't want that energy this year, that they're going to be like, no, it wasn't. Or, you know, well, it's your fault or, you know, you started it or, you know, well, I think it's important that you hear my truth or my opinion or like where they just get aggressive and argumentative about it. Those are not people you you can have the conversation with. And sometimes in the interest of self-care, the best thing to do is to just say, Hey, I'm so sorry. I'm not going to be able to make it. I'm not feeling well. I've got the flu or whatever. What about the people who are, single. You mentioned that before. So there are a lot of single people out there going through the holidays. Maybe they were single last year, they're single this year. And they think to themselves, because there's so much pressure at the end of the year to look back and say, well, I did this and this and this. And, you know, I'm in a relationship. I have a new job. I'm moving someplace else. 
and they don't. Mm-hmm. How and they feel depressed because they don't they don't feel like they are coming and they see everybody around them. They're comparing themselves, unfortunately, but that's what happens a lot of times. Mm-hmm. How do you deal with those emotions? Where do you put those feelings? Well, a few things. You know, I think that first of all, I think there's a tendency we as human beings, we tend to compare our insides to other people's outsides, as they say in AA. And I think that you don't really know what anyone is going through. One thing I know as a therapist, because I see people's inner world, I see people's relationships on a level that most people don't. And, you know, I remember one time I was in my office and a client was talking about this celebrity and saying she has the perfect life. And I just wish that my life was like hers. And, you know, she, she has the perfect hair and the perfect body and the perfect life and the perfect relationship and the everything unbeknownst to her, that celebrity was a client of mine at the time and was coming in depressed and agonizing over her relationship and that her boyfriend had cheated on her and nobody knew. And like, just, I think that we have to be really careful. I call it the myth of the perfect life, that we have this idea that other people have a perfect life and our life has all these shitty things going on. But the truth is like, when you look at another relationship, you're making an assumption. Oh, that couple's happy. Oh, that couple has a great sex life. Oh, that couple has a beautiful home. Oh, that couple has everything. And you just don't know. So I, I caution people not to compare their insides to other people's outsides and to really focus instead on your own process and to look at if you are someone who is single and you don't want to be to say, okay, like, especially with the new year coming, and I, I don't like to be too new year's resolution ish, but I, I do believe in fresh starts and fresh views on our lives and new ways of approaching things. And I think that the thing to do is to look at, okay, what do I really want? What am I looking for in a partner? I, I really love the, that three part list. What are the deal breakers? What are the must haves? And what are the, wow, if, if, my future partner had this, what a bonus. That would be amazing. Like I like that one. It wouldn't be a deal breaker if they didn't have it, but that sure would be amazing. And I, Mm -hmm. and I think that the reason why that list is so valuable is that it helps you recognize the person when you see them. Mm -hmm. And most of the clients as, as kind of woo woo, as it sounds, most of the clients who I've seen, once they do the list, find someone within a year. Because they're so focused on knowing who that person is and prioritizing that. And then the other part of it is to look at where am I not doing the footwork when it comes to meeting someone? And I think most people at this day and age are on the apps. I think that's kind of a given for most people. But I view dating as a pie. And you want to look at each slice of the pie should be a different perspective. So maybe one is asking friends to set you up on a blind date. One might be going to activities where you're likely to meet someone with similar values. Another might be sports activities. Another might be a singles function at your temple or church or someplace else. Like, So you really want to look at what are the different ways I can approach this? Because look, they say insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. If you're only doing one app, doing the same thing and not meeting someone, then you want to really vary your approach. If if this were a business, you wouldn't 
continue operating your business the same way if you weren't getting results. You would come up with different ways of approaching your business. So you want to do that with your dating life as well. I recently heard somebody talk about marriage as a business, mm-hmm. and I, I think I've heard you refer to it in that way, not in like an unemotional way, but in comparing, quote unquote, comparing it to a business, would you stay with a business partner that treated you with no respect or in being single and looking for somebody, the same thing? Would you keep running ads on your business if you weren't getting anybody answering it? No, you're going to look someplace else. And I think that's really great advice because I think so many people feel desperate Mm-hmm. And they they come to the end of the year and they're like, oh, this has got to be the year that I meet somebody. Well, what are you doing differently this year than you are than you did this past year? What are you going to do? What are the and I think getting very specific, I love that. That's like that's journaling where so many people don't want to face yeah. their their feelings. Yeah. And I know and sometimes also, I don't. And 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 also even like on the apps, find three to six people of the gender you're hoping to date, have them look at your profile and ask them for advice. How am I coming off? What could I be doing differently? What do you think of these pictures? Should I change any of them? What do you think about my bio? What If you didn't know me and you read this, what would you think that I was selling? Because look, we're selling ourselves. Like right. that's that's part of what we're doing if, if you're on the apps. So I, I think you want to get some unbiased opinion from people who will be honest with you. Not people who be like, oh, you're so wonderful. You're so great. You'll meet someone. Oh, it's a perfect, it's just a perfect app post, <laughs> like whatever, you know, but it, it's important to get honest feedback because sometimes we think we're conveying something and someone who really knows us will look at it and be like, no, you just look like the hot girl. You don't like you're, you don't look like you're the person who reads, you know, all of the great literature and that's something that is really important to you. Like you need to, to show, let's do a picture of you with a book so you can find someone who loves reading too. Like, you know, it's a a kind of a basic example, but you want to make sure that you're attracting what you're really looking for. That's great advice. And that's something to give people um, something concrete to think about, to get excited about the new year. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break. So stay with us with Dr. Jen Mann. We'll be back in a minute. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. 
This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code podcast to get 25% off. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Welcome back to Fearlessly Authentic, everybody. I'm here with Dr. Jen Mann, and we are talking about how to manage your anxiety, your stressful moments during the holiday seasons, and really throughout the whole year. So when you do get to the holiday season, you're ready for it. You know how to handle it, manage it, so you are the healthiest. So Dr. Jen Mann, thank you for being here today during this busy time of year. My pleasure. Um we talked a lot about the stress and anxiety. And then um, one of the things that you and I discussed we wanted to talk about today was emotional eating during the holiday season. That is something, you know, for somebody who's been in the fitness industry for, I don't know, 34, 35 years now, obviously that's something that comes up when I'm training somebody and they all decide that, you know what, it's December 1st. No, I'm sorry, it's Thanksgiving. I am going to just eat whatever I want. And you know what? When they say that, it's you just say, okay, but you know, be aware. Um, because if they're already, if a lot of people look at the holiday season and say, it's my time to indulge. And it's what is that thought process? It's time to indulge. Why do we all think that we should eat whatever we want? We should eat lots of cookies kind of want to talk about that for a second. Well, to me, it's a, it's a few things. And I come from an intuitive eating model. I have an app called No More Diets. It's all about how to eat whatever you want, but also really listen to your body and honor your body and pay attention to how the food affects your body, affects your mood, affects you in every way. To me, when people say, I'm going to eat whatever I want in the holidays. A lot of the time, it's a sign that they are depriving themselves so much and they're in such a deprivational model that they get really bingy around the holidays. And to me, it's a reflection of an unhealthy relationship with food. And I'm very much of the belief that if we're really paying attention to our body, <clears throat> If we're really paying attention to our body and we're listening to our hunger cues and we're stopping when we're satisfied, not stuffed, that we tend to get to our natural weight. And I, I'm a big fan of the hunger scale, which is a scale from zero to 10, mm -hmm. five being neutral. And what you want to do is you want to eat when you're a three, which is solidly hungry. If you're a four, you're like, 
I'm not sure if I'm hungry. I think I might be, but I'm not sure. Okay, well, wait till you know if you're hungry and not letting yourself get hungrier than a three. If you let yourself get to a two, you're probably, your stomach is grumbling. You're not feeling so good. Your energy's not good. You let yourself get to a one and you're feeling dizzy. You're feeling right. like nauseous. You're not- Your blood good. sugar has yeah. totally dropped. Yeah. Exactly. And then on the other side of it, is after that five, which is neutral, when you get to a six, a six is, I can tell I've eaten something, but I, I'm not full. A seven is full. An eight is stuffed. A nine is I'm in pain. And a 10 is I can't even stand up. And I'm a big fan of really working on eating when you're a three, because you're solidly hungry. That also means you're satisfying something. Because mm-hmm. if you are not hungry and satisfying hunger, it's hard to know when to stop. Because there's no mechanism that says, okay, you're full, it's time to stop because you weren't hungry to begin with. And then you, you want to stop when you're a five or a six. I always think of it as I, I want to be able to run down the street without feeling so stuffed and so uncomfortable. And that's that's kind of a good zone to be in. Once you get into that zone of that like, eight where you're so full, it doesn't feel good or nine, you're in pain, you've overeaten. And and it's a sign that you've given your body more food than it wants. And if you want to know what your natural weight is, then you want to be eating what your body tells you it wants. And sometimes people say, well, my body tells me it wants cookies and nothing else. But the truth is that Typically, at the beginning of the process where you're, as we call it in the in the business, legalizing foods, where you start eating foods that you maybe didn't allow yourself or you were out of control with, you do start out overeating with those foods until you realize that, oh, I can have this at any time. You know, like I, I was, I had an eating disorder from age 11 to 21, and then I discovered intuitive eating. And which is why I'm so passionate about it. Mm -hmm. And ice cream was my favorite food. I couldn't have it in the house because if I did, I would overeat it. I had to eat an awful lot of ice cream in order to realize I'm not going to deprive myself of that. I'm going to always have that in the house. Now I have ice cream in my refrigerator that has freezer burn because I know I can always have it. Isn't that interesting? And you know, when I was growing up, we, this is a very funny story. I was in like sixth grade and one of my friends came over and she said, you guys have so much food here because my mom went to like Pepperidge Farm, you know, and she had all this food and she back then you put that stuff in your freezer, you buy it when it's on sale and then she would defrost it anyway. But it was like ho-hos, all, all hostess cupcakes, all those things. And she was like, you guys have so much food here. And, you know, I never ate it because it was always there. However, she didn't have it. And she grew up with an eating disorder because in her house, everything had to be so healthy. So there was no balance. And I mean, now she's fine, but she had to work through that balance. It was very hard. I mean, what you're saying is exactly true. The studies show that the more we deprive ourselves of food, those specific foods, the more we tend to be out of control when we encounter them. And now look, I am someone who I've got 30 plus years of recovery on me and I am vegan. 
I don't need anything that has a face or came from something that has a face. Mm-hmm. For me, it is an ethical choice, but it's not a deprivational choice. I love ice cream, so I have the vegan version of it. I love cookies, so I have the vegan version of it. There's no deprivation in that model for me. And I also really pay attention. I love fruits and vegetables. I love whole grain foods. And I'm very aware also of making sure that I eat foods that make my body feel good. If I'm getting on the treadmill and I have a bunch of cookies and some vegan milk, that may be delicious and I may enjoy it, but I'm probably not going to have a good run and I'm probably not going to feel great and have a lot of energy. Do I have the cookies and the vegan milk? Yes, absolutely. I love that stuff, but I'm also mindful about it. And I really pay attention. Am I having this because it's in front of me or am I having this because I really want this? And sometimes we just get visually cued by things, especially around the holidays. And I think there's a sense of holiday scarcity because we go, oh, a gingerbread house. I can never have that any other time of the year. Right. Yes. We we have to change that. You know what? You can make that. You can get the recipe. You can order it. And I think that allowing ourselves to have those foods year round, that Mm. can really help a lot of that sort of scarcity eating that tends to happen around the holidays. That's, I never thought of that, you know, for the person who, that, who's indulging because they think I could only have this, this time of year, just like Thanksgiving, people have to eat so much because they say, you know, I only eat this type of food during on Thanksgiving. Yeah. But you can have it any time. Okay. So let's just say somebody who is in that deprivation mindset, let's just take a woman. Okay. Cause we're both women and she's mindful of her diet and mindful of how she wants to feel in her body. And for the most part, you know, has eats healthy, but now is her time to go. She's just going to say, screw the diet, whatever that diet is, quote unquote diet. How can she wrap her head around that scarcity mindset? How can she go in there with a different mindset thinking, look, I can have this stuff all year. How does somebody change their mindset this time of year? Well, I think a few things. I think when you are at a lot of the time, these meals are kind of buffet kind of meals Mm. or else there's just a lot of food on the table and you can take things and put it on your plate. Take a little bit of everything and put Mm. it on your plate. Taste everything and see what you really like. Then you can get rid of the plate And just get the things you like. That way you're not eating just because it's on your plate. You're not eating because like, oh, I always have eaten a lot of mashed potatoes and maybe you don't really like it. And and I think that it's really important that there's a tendency, especially in the holidays and especially at a family meal, to just shovel food into our mouth without tasting it. And I really, as part of the intuitive eating process, I really encourage people to taste their food, to savor their food, to enjoy their food. So often I speak with with people who have eating issues who say, I love food. But when I really ask, they're not tasting food, especially if they're eating food they feel guilty about. Mm. Stop and taste it. Don't stand and eat it as you're talking to someone yeah, or watching TV because you think somehow it doesn't count or, you know, it don't be mindless in your eating 
enjoy it, eat with gusto, eat with passion, eat with enjoyment, savor every bite, notice where on the on your tongue you taste the sensations. Is it sweet? Is it sour? Is it salty? Like, how does it feel in your mouth? What is the texture like? Take the time to really taste it and savor it and enjoy it because that changes your relationship with food. And when you're mindful, it's a lot harder to overeat when you're really mindful. 100%. I've been talking about this for so many years, the mindfully eating. And it's just, it's hard for us to do, but anything that's hard is going to help you be, you know, improve on what it is that you want to improve on. I want to go back to what you were talking about, the intuitive eating and the scale that you have in your mind. Um, So if somebody is eating empty calories, just say like high in fat, high in sugar, what do you suggest for those people who are hungry at three and go all the way up to the eight, feeling sick to their stomach and it's it's bankrupt of any type of nutrients? Well, if you're eating and then it's making you feel sick, then you really need to reevaluate what you're eating. And I know that may sound like obvious, like, oh, duh, like, of course. But I think you also have to look at your relationship with food, because sometimes we just judge the food as like good or bad. And that kind Mm -hmm. of black and white thinking is very bad for our relationship with food. And I think that you want to ask yourself, okay, if I'm eating the same thing at three o'clock and I'm feeling sick and I'm not feeling good, what is it about that food that's making me gravitate towards it? Does it have emotional meaning? Is it Mm. my mom used to always make those cookies and my mom is no longer here at the holidays and I miss my mom. So I'm eating those cookies. Is it, oh, I think that this is a treat I'm giving myself, except that treat is hurting you. Like, I think you have to really kind of do a deep dive into what is it in your relationship with food that's making you choose a food that's making you not feel good? And sometimes that requires therapy. Sometimes we can't get to the answer alone. Sometimes it it means reaching out to someone with some expertise in that area to help us figure out why we're making a choice that's hurting us. And more than likely that relationship with food is being triggered by something else. And that's where you need to get to the bottom line. And food's Uh, very symbolic. Food is about nurturing. It's about comforting. I mean, look, the first... Our first relationship with food is being fed usually by a mom, sometimes a dad, but on the breast or with a bottle and it's comfort and it's being held and it's feeling safe. And so our relationship with food is incredibly complicated. And we have a lot of ideas, especially around the holidays about the meaning and the history and the memories and kind of the specialness of holiday food. And and I think that gets very complicated. Right. I was just thinking for a second, you know, I I don't cook a lot. Um, I'm not a good cook, but there are, I make really good latkes, potato pancakes during Hanukkah time. Yeah. Uh, It's like the only thing I really know how to make. And I used to feel that I, you know, when my parents were both around that I needed to eat a lot to make my mother happy. I never had an unhealthy relationship with food, but I remember that feeling. And then as they got older and and I was doing it for my family, I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to take one forkful to say I had the, the potato pancake for Hanukkah. 
and I'm done. But that's not always easy for everybody else. So if somebody is going to a party, let's just, again, what can they do? I, I usually suggest they eat before they go. Eat something healthy before you go so you're not hungry. <clears throat> what do you think of that idea? Well, I think it's important for people to be able to participate in the holiday festivities. Right. And I think it's, I don't like anyone going into any meal or any event too hungry. You know, we should never be too right. hungry, too angry, too too tired if we right. can avoid it. So I, I think that sometimes having a little snack before you go in so you're not over hungry and making erratic choices because your blood sugar is so low. But I think it's important to be able to participate in that holiday stuff and to, again, to be mindful and to try a little bit of everything to figure out what do you really like? You know, our, they say that our stomach is like as big as our fist and like, mm-hmm. we don't have that much room. So you want to make sure you're selective about what you have, because that's treating yourself well, giving yourself the food that gives you the most pleasure, the most enjoyment that makes you feel good when you walk away from the meal is really what's ideal. Something came up when you were saying this, the feeling of having um, self-compassion. Yeah. Uh, so I want to talk about that and relationships with food. And I think overall with everything that we're talking about, I think so many of us are hard on ourselves for saying, well, just suck it up and go to Aunt Jane's house or just suck it up and eat the food, whatever it could be. How do we sit back and and give ourselves that self-compassion, that love? Well, I think a really good example of an area where people around the holidays, especially, but in general, don't have compassion for themselves is when they have a binge, when they mm. overeat, that there's a tendency to say, oh, I have that kind of black and white diet mentality thinking I blew it. I fucked up. So now I'm just going to eat everything. And or the next day to be like, now I'm going to starve because I need to punish myself or make up for the calories. And that's actually the worst thing that you can do. And I am a big believer in instead looking at, okay, what happened that I treated my body that way? What was going on emotionally? Was I turning to food for comfort? Was I feeling anxious? Was I feeling angry? Was I, what was I using food to accomplish? And how can I nurture myself better in ways other than food? Because to me, it's a red flag. When we are overeating, it's a red flag, something's wrong. Right. And we need to pay attention to those red flags and to actually be able to utilize them and use them to help make ourselves better, help ourselves heal, help ourselves make healthier decisions and just help ourselves overall. So to me, the next day, the answer is not to starve yourself. The answer is to evaluate what went wrong and why that happened. And also to then wait until you're physically hungry, wait till you're a three on that hunger scale we talked about Mm -hmm. before eating your first meal, because then you set yourself up to succeed in terms of there is a hunger to satiate. You, there's there's something built in in our bodies to help us to know when it's time to stop eating when we eat when we're hungry. And I and I think that from what you're saying that everybody needs to understand that there's no right or wrong. It's what works 
for you. And we're here talking about how you can be the healthiest, how you can love yourself more, how you can set up boundaries, how you can have that self-compassion. Because I know so many people do, they'll beat themselves up the next day. I'm horrible. I'm a crappy person and starve themselves for, for maybe a day or two, get on the cardio and, you know, and it's, I, I, I hate to see that. Yeah. And being punitive doesn't help. It makes you feel worse. It makes it more likely that you're going to binge. Right. Right. Let's go on to what I mentioned at the beginning. You and I have both had a loss and I'm so sorry for your loss this year. Thank you. And you too. When, thank you. When we are in the holiday season and of course, those memories of our loved ones come up, how do you best suggest somebody copes with that? Um, Well, a few things. I I think depending on where you are in your grieving process, whether it's a a new death or something that you have been dealing with for years or decades, even, I think Mm -hmm. that you you may be at a different stage in your grief and loss. Um, I think, first of all, it's important to understand the stages of grief and loss. There's a woman named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who studied death and dying. And what she talked about is that we go through these somewhat predictable stages of grief and loss, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. They don't necessarily happen in that order. And you don't graduate from one and get to check it off and be like, oh, I'm all done with anger. I'm never going to feel that again. I I wish. But instead, sometimes we alternate between anger and sadness. Sometimes we alternate between denial and acceptance. And I think that being aware and understanding what those stages look like is an important part of grieving and understanding your process. I think we have to have patience with our grieving. I also think it's really important to get support, whether it is a grief and loss group, whether it is reading a book. I'm a a huge fan of um, Rabbi Stephen Leader has written a number of books about death and dying that no matter what your religion, it, it is his books are absolutely phenomenal. Um, I also think that reaching out to other people who have experienced those losses, really looking at who in your social circle and your family can be there to support you. I think those things are, are really important. And also finding ways to honor the legacy of the person who passed away. How do you keep them alive in a positive way? I think that's important. Yeah, it's um it is. It's always it's always very hard. I want to move over to your um book, The Relationship Fix. And you know, if you could, we have 5 minutes left. Yeah. If you could just provide for everybody a brief overview of what you discuss in the book, and I think it's so appropriate especially this time of year to make sure that you're tuned into your relationships, your personal meaningful relationships. And this is a very easy time of year to neglect your relationship with gift buying and the kids and the trees and the, like all of that stuff. There's, there's a lot to do at at home and, and oftentimes for families and friends and all of that. Um, My book, The Relationship Fix, I wrote it when I was doing my show VH1 Couples Therapy with Dr. Jen. I had so many people who were reaching out to me saying, I want couples therapy with you. And, you know, I wasn't able to accommodate all of these people, but I thought, you know what? I've got to write a book 
that couples can read that's the equivalent of like a year, year and a half of therapy with me. So I wrote it's the such a good book. I've given uh, my copies off to everybody. Thank you. And and I really wanted the book to be a combination of actual research and studies about relationships, my clinical experience, and also examples from people on my shows and on my radio show so that people could really understand what it looks like in action. The book really talks about six different categories. It talks about communication. It talks about negotiation. It talks about um, family trauma and how it affects your current relationships. It talks about sex. It talks about forgiveness and how to make amends. And it's, I think it's a really important book because no matter where you are as a couple, even if you're having a great relationship, there are always things that you can learn to do better. Oh, and also sex. How can I forget about sex? <laughs> how, to, right. how to invigorate a sex life. And I think that no matter where you are in your relationship, there are always tips and tools that you can read about that you can implement in your relationship to make it stronger. And I'm a big believer as a writer in giving readers actual tools that they can utilize at home because you can get all the information and walk away from a book and go, well, that was really interesting and what great concepts. But if you don't know how to implement it in your relationship and in your life, it hasn't helped you. And I always like my books to be able to help. I, I Like I said, I love the book. For everybody listening, you need to go out and buy the book. Buy it for somebody you love. Buy it for yourself. It is just a wonderful book. And you've given us so much information today to help us stay healthy through the holiday season and hopefully throughout the year. And for those of us who can you know, implement those, it's very, very important. Do you have any last words as we tie up this whole episode on some final words that you can leave the listener to just so it sticks in their head about how to manage a sticky situation. You know, with everything that we've talked, whether it's eating the stress, the anxiety, just, you know, a tip or two. I think that if someone really cares about you, they want what's best for you. And Mm -hmm. if they don't, then you still need to do what is best for you. You, you have to prioritize your own self-care and not get sucked into other people's demands on you and make sure that you're taking good care of yourself. You know, without that, you've got nothing. So good. So good. Dr. Jen Mann, where can we reach you? You can find me on social media at Dr. Jen Mann, D-R-J-E-N-N-M-A-N-N. So two ends on Jen, two ends on man. And of course, on my website, uh, Dr. Jen spelled out D-O-C-T-O-R-J-E-N-N.com. Wonderful. Thank you so, so much and have a wonderful holiday. It's been great talking to you. Thank you for all the great advice. My pleasure. You too. And until next week, everyone, go and live your most fearlessly authentic life. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe. And remember, you can always, you can find me also, this is brand new on Amazon music. So look for fearlessly authentic on Amazon music starting just two days ago. So that's very exciting. Congrats. Thank you. Bye-bye everyone. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in this week to fearlessly authentic. 
Please listen again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you. 